Morning. Morning. Afternoon. Well, thank you. It's very correct of you. We uh, we're glad you're here today. Um, I uh, I got to spend some time before the first service uh, this morning, just wandering around a little bit, and just just seeing so many people that serve in so many different ways. And uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you that that serve in some way, shape, or form. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for loving on others. Thank you for loving on kids, um, sharing the gospel with them while their parents get to hear the gospel in here. And uh, thank you to everybody that helps greet people, love on people as they're coming in. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not an easy place to come into and not be loved on, or at least that's what we hope. And uh, I have gotten that email one, at least one time in the past of like somebody that, you know, hey, I came to your church and nobody talked to me. And I'm like, did you, did you like bear crawl through all the people and hide? I don't, I don't know what happened there, but, uh, you know, we're not perfect, obviously. But uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to, to all of you that, that do such an awesome job of loving on folks and, and ministering to folks and uh, all that. So, uh, pretty pretty awesome stuff just to get to see. I, I just don't get to see a lot of things sometimes, a lot of things that people are doing and, and just how God's using them, and it's just an awesome, awesome thing. And, and, and it's for people just even, you know, that do stuff during the week that you never see. And, and, and that I mean, that even comes to, like, guys that help maintain parts of our building and stuff like that, and some of you are in here, and I just, I just can't tell you how grateful I am for you. So uh, just pretty awesome stuff, so good stuff. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into this. Uh, we're, we're in the book of Mark. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get out. We've, uh, we've been walking through the book of Mark. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, and they will bring you a Bible. If you'll just throw your hand in the air and wave it like you just don't care. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get you one. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, uh, then, you know, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to have it. It's considered a gift. Um, Marion, you've got the whole room today. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, if you don't, uh, and if you don't own one like that one and you want one like that one, I don't care. Uh, you can keep it. If you just need to borrow it and follow along, that's fine too. We'd love for you to be able to, to, to follow through scripture with us today. Uh, Mark chapter five is where we're going. And, uh, we've been, we've been rolling through the book of Mark, uh, started this, I don't know, a couple few months ago or something. And, um, we're going to keep going through that for a while. And, uh, uh, today we're in chapter 5, which in chapter 5 is a chapter that uh, uh, I talked about this for just a second last week as I talked about the first part of chapter 5 last week, uh, the demoniac, uh, which is an awesome thing to get to talk about on Father's Day. Some dude is possessed by a legion of demons. Uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, so, uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, we, the part, chapter five is kind of considered like this crazy chapter of Jesus doing back-to-back impossible things, like things that are just considered impossible to do. That's what Jesus is specializing in in chapter five. And, uh, and today's no different. This part of the chapter is no different. We're going to see uh, Jesus doing that. In fact, in this passage that we're reading today, uh, it is uh, really like two stories in one. And, and it's, uh, there's actually some terms for it that theologians call it uh, as being like a Markian sandwich. We're just going to say a Mark sandwich uh, because I think the other sounds weird. Uh, and so, uh, but the idea being that there's a story within the story. And, uh, and, I don't think it's on. I don't think it's on accident. I don't think it's you know. It, it's definitely not on accident. It's it's just part, just the way it happened. And and so Mark tells it that way. And uh, we have it uh, together as we do. Uh, probably thanks to Peter and Peter's account because we think most of Mark was probably Peter's account of Christ's life. Um, and uh, Mark being uh, the uh, guy with least amount of details, we've got that going on too. So uh, you know, it's it's an interesting deal altogether. But uh, uh, anyway, we're we're looking at this passage in Mark today. And there's a commonality in this passage that I want to bring up now, not because I'm trying to be the buzzkill and like uh, give away the ending here, but I, 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 want to, I want to give you an opportunity to be thinking as I'm walking us through, as we're walking through this together, uh, to be thinking about this, this piece of what I think is a common theme within the, this passage today, and really even probably all of chapter 5 and, and a good portion of, of this portion of Christ's ministry. Uh, but the theme is that we see people that are afraid. Now, I don't, I don't know what you're afraid of, you know, but we all have fears of some kind. Um, 
you know, different types of things. Maybe it's an animal, maybe it's spiders or, you know, whatever. I don't know anybody really with that fear of spiders, but I don't, can you think of anybody with fear of spiders? I can't think of Joey Boykin. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But you know, people people are afraid of different things, you know, and uh, and and you know, and I've got I've got my own fears, which I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm just going to tell you what other people's are. Um, and so, you know, but but no, seriously, you know, things that things that drive us in life to keep us from doing things or push us into doing things, oftentimes are based around fears that we struggle with. And, and so as we talk through this today, you know, I could, we could spend a whole morning like unpacking and talking about fear itself and, and all of these things and, and what that looks like and all that. But I, I, I'm just encouraging you and I'm praying, my prayer for you this morning is that God will speak to your heart, maybe show you fears that you struggle with in your life. Um, and as we read through this, See how God deals with that. See how Jesus deals with that and some of the things that he says in dealing with fear. Because I I think if we're real honest with ourselves today, there's a whole lot of our lives which are dictated by fear. Now, we don't like thinking about that. That's something that's like, we really got to think about that today because I just want to like have like a nice sunny, you know, summer day, like, you know, but I, I I think, I think you will find if you're willing to go there, I think you will find that God's healing power has a way to overcome those fears. And so I encourage you as we read through this uh, that you be thinking about what those fears are in your life and then you can tell us all what they are after it's over with and I'll talk about you on another Sunday, okay? All right, here we go. Uh, Mark chapter 5 verse 21 is uh, where we're going to start here and uh, here we go. Uh, Oh, by the way, uh, so last week we had the, you know, to kind of catch us up to speed, we had, uh, you know, Jesus on the boat, you know, and Jesus, first of all, was on the boat, you know, teaching in Galilee, and then he went across the sea, and then there was, this is on chapter four, by the way, uh, he had the, you know, the storm came up, and of course, he's like snoozing on a pillow, and disciples are like, Jesus, dude, we're going to die, and he like wakes up, and he's like, no, man, we're not going to die, wind and, and sea be calm, and it's all cool, and I got, I got this handled, you know, I'm the creator of all of these things, and they belong to me, and I will kick them in the face, uh, and so, uh, you've got you got Jesus doing that, and then Jesus they get to the so then they get to the other side of the sea, <coughs> and they get to it. There's a different people group on the other side of the sea, but the biggest thing is they get to the guy who's got all the demons in him, and, and of course Jesus casts out the demons and all this stuff, and it's a big deal because he's unclean um, because first of all he's got demons, uh, and then secondly he's like living in a cemetery, and there's all this stuff. If you missed it, you can go check the the podcast or whatever for it. Uh, but anyway, so. You know, Jesus said, see, and now Jesus is now coming back across the sea, you know, to come back to the Galilean people, his people really, so to speak, uh, where he'd come from. And, uh, and so he's come back over because, I mean, Jesus just loves like rolling a boat. I mean, he's like all about it. And I guess, you know, hey, if you've got one, throw on some flippy floppies and roll with it. Uh, so he's made now a trip across and now he's going back. And that's where we're picking up right here to kind of to give us... A deal, and if you remember, fear was also a part of those stories where uh, the disciples were afraid of the storm, thought it was going to kill them, and then when Jesus calmed the storm, they are more afraid of the fact that Jesus was able to calm the storm than they were of the actual storm. Now they are actually terrified, and then they get to the guy that uh, you know has got the demons and all this stuff, and then he heals that guy, and. Uh, then the people there are in fear because they don't even know, like, how could Jesus do that? Plus, he, like, puts the demons into pigs, and the pigs dive bomb and kill themselves in the sea. Uh, so it's a big waste of bacon. Uh, but there's, you know, there's all this going on, too. And so Jesus has got all of this, you know, and, but fear, 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 fear. You see, like, every little, you know, little aspect, like, a lot of times it's because Jesus has done something, and everybody's freaking out, and he's like, okay, if he could do that, he could, like, you know, snap my neck off with, like, you know, snapping his finger or something, and I, I don't want, you know, I want to do that. So now we're picking up where Jesus has come back across, and here it says in verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, got to love that name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. 
Okay, Jairus, who we know because it tells us there in verse 22, one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, I want to kind of give us, we don't know a ton about this dude, but we know enough uh, to put some pieces together, and Mark is giving us enough so that we can put these pieces together. He wants us to understand who this guy is. One of the rulers of the synagogue, uh, other interpretations might even say one of the presidents of the synagogue. Basically, this is like one of the guys who like keeps the, keeps the place going. Like He, he may be, possibly, we kind of have a little bit of information on the guy that may lead us to believe that he's possibly like the guy who puts together services, even. Okay? So... You know, this guy's like, he's got some authority and he's high up, you know, at the synagogue and in the town. And that's, it's a pretty big deal. And, you know, probably a very pr- prominent family and, you know, all of those, you know, important good things to know about this guy. And it says that he comes to Jesus, okay, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Now, this is kind of a big deal. And part of the reason why this is a big deal is because if you're thinking about this and you're thinking about the situation, J. Iris is probably considered a Pharisee. He's, he's pro, he's, or I'm sorry, he's probably considered one of like the elite religious uh, you know, people you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and one of these guys that you know, is not pro-Jesus, okay? Because you got to remember, Jesus has shown up on the scene and he's teaching about a new kingdom and they are not liking it. Like all of the religious, you know, know-it-alls, they are not in with this. They're like, he's teaching stuff we haven't been teaching. That's not what we've been teaching. He must be wrong. We don't like him. Let's get him out of town. And Jesus is there, of course, ushering in the kingdom of God. He's like, the kingdom has come. It's here, and it's happening now. Like, it is starting now. I'm here. Boom, the party starts, and it's going on until I come back, and then, boom, I'm going to restore the whole thing. You know, I mean, so there's this, and, we, and we're living in, you know, this time when, when God is, is choosing to restore and do certain things, and, you know, everybody gets all so down about, you know, all oh, the world's going to shambles. I mean, God's going to restore the whole thing, folks, okay? It's, it's, it's like coming where he, he comes and he saves the day and we win in the end, okay? Um, but for J. Iris, I mean, what he's doing here is actually a dangerous thing for him to do, probably. I mean, the fact that he is in front of other people falling at the feet of Jesus, huge deal, because again, probably all of his buddies are like, no, we got to get that guy out of here. And it goes on, it says, verse 23, and implored, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live and he went with him. And he went with him. So he's come. He's got, he has a need. J. Iris has a need. And the need is that his daughter is about to die. And he is desperate. And, and let's just face it. For many of us in our lives, there have been moments in our lives when we have come to a point where we've got a need. We are desperate. And there is nowhere else to turn but Jesus. And the truth is, is that Jesus should be our first person to turn to. He is publicly coming in front of Jesus. Guy who is part of a prominent family and probably putting himself, his well-being, his reputation at risk to be seen even talking to Jesus, much less bowing down in front of him, humbling himself before him and saying, man, I need your help. You got to come and you got to heal my daughter. He believes in Jesus. Now, we don't, we don't know if it's just because of the desperation of the moment. There's a good chance of that. I'm not going to put that on it because I don't know for sure. But somewhere in there, there is a little ounce of faith, maybe mustard seed size, I don't know, but in some way, shape, or form, he has got some sort of faith in Jesus that he can come and he can heal his daughter. He has a need. He is desperate. It goes on in the passage. It says this, verse 24, and he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So all these people, all these people are like hanging out, and they're like, I'm going to guess probably the majority of them are like people that want to see what's next. Like, what's this guy going to do next? You ever, you ever have like a friend you want to hang out with because you just want to see 
what they're going to do next. You just want to see what they're going to say next, you know? I've got, I, I had some of those friends. You got to love those people, you know? And sometimes it's like, you know, you, you like hang out long enough to be like, okay, I see what's coming next, and I'm going to get out of here before the cops show up. So that's awesome to get to see that much of it, and I'm out. So good luck with it, right? All these people, they want to see Jesus do a miracle. They've heard the stories. Some of them have seen some of these things happen. They want, they want to see what's next. They know there's a guy whose daughter's about to die. They want to see voodoo doctor at work, right? Verse 25, it goes on, it says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And that is exactly what it sounds like. And we won't get into any more depth of that. You know, it's, it's not good. 12 years she has had this physical ailment that has plagued her for 12 years. And it says in verse 26, And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So in other words, she's got this, she's got this deal going on. And she has gone and seen all the doctors. And in seeing the doctors, she's actually worse for seeing the doctors. She's walking away from that worse than what she was to begin with. That's, that's the situation. Now, you're probably thinking, what, what, wait a minute, what happened? What about Jay Iris and his dying daughter? Exactly. Mark Sandwich right here, okay? This is, this is the story inside the story. And so they're walking along. All of a sudden, you know, there's this woman, and we're going to see what happens here because she is going to intervene in the moment, and she's trying not to, but that's exactly what's going to happen. We're getting a little background on her first. And in verse 27, it says, and of course, by the way, she spent everything she had. She probably bartered even with uh, material possessions or whatever, but she's definitely broke, and at this point, poor, and who knows how poor she is, but we know she's poor. She's given everything she's got to try to be healed, and she's, she's worse. Verse 27, it goes on, it says, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She'd heard the reports about Jesus. She came up to him in the crowd behind him and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. How do we know that she said that? We'll see in a minute. There's more coming with this. And immediately, it says, verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? So she has snuck up behind Jesus for this, okay? She has snuck up behind Jesus. Have you, have you seen these videos on Facebook of the guys that are sneaking up behind people? And I really want to do this. I've been thinking about doing it while I'm on vacation or something. But uh, they got like the fake snakes or like the fake big spiders or something that are like, you know, that big or something crazy. And they got like a fishing line attached to like a clip and they're like running up behind people and they're like clipping it to the bottom of their shirts or something or their coats or whatever. And then they like tap them on the shoulder and the people turn around and then they're like take off running. But the thing's clipped to them. So it's like bouncing behind them like it's chasing them. Greatest videos ever. <laughs> this lady snuck up behind Jesus. She is, she is trying her best to do like a touch and run, you know. She's like, she believes, she believes that touching his garment will heal her, but she just wants to like, boom, I'm out. Like, tag your it, and I'm healed, hopefully, and I'm gone. She's not interested in a conversation. She's not trying to make a scene. She doesn't want stories written about her. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. She's unclean. Now, we talked about this last week with all this unclean junk. That the, that the people, the Jewish people, would come up with at the time. and I mean, just more laws and just junk that they made up about people that they felt like were unclean and, you know, just like your demoniac guy or whatever. But this lady, because of her condition, would have been considered unclean. And if she touched somebody, 
If she touched somebody, they would be considered unclean for a week and have to go through all of these, you know, who knows what, I don't know, um, stuff to be clean again, be considered clean again. So, so she's, imagine this, again, she's not supposed to be in public, she's not supposed to be touching anybody, and what's the situation here? We've got like waiting for getting, you know, this might as well be the crowd waiting to get on rides at Disneyland. You know, I mean, like everybody is like pushed against each other. They're following Jesus through the streets and she's trying to get to him just so she can touch his clothes. So she she's sneaking up. But I guarantee you, she's touching people as she's getting up through there. But she believes that Jesus can heal her. She believes that just touching his clothes will heal her. But if she let that crowd know what was going on, it had been like parting the seas. They would have run. Oh my gosh, did I get touched at all? And I don't know. And, you know. She is trying to secretly do this to not make a scene. She does not want people to know what's going on with her. She just wants to get healed and she wants to move on with life. 12 years she's been dealing with this. 12 years. 12 years. I had. One of my biggest ailments of my life a little while ago, I could not, I literally could not hear out of this ear. It was completely closed up. My, I had this sinus infection that wouldn't go away. I'd been to doctors and, you know, gotten antibiotics and all this stuff and was like throwing motor oil in there or whatever. I don't know. You know, just like anything I could think of to like, you know, uh, except the candles. No, I forgot to, we didn't do the candles. So sorry for people that love the candles and I wouldn't mind doing it. I could stand and do one now, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, I mean, I could not hear. Like, straight up, I could not hear. The pressure in my head was ridiculous. I would, I would like, jump up from, you know, laying down or something like that, and I'd be so, bit, so dizzy, I'd want to, like, fall over some days. Like, my equilibrium was just gone, you know? I mean, it's just crazy how something like that can affect you. That was, like, for a month or something that I couldn't, that I straight just couldn't hear. Twelve years 12 years, this lady's going through this. And she too, in some form or fashion, has some ounce of faith that Jesus is enough to, enough to heal her. Jesus is enough to do what she needs done. Some little amount of faith. She has a need. She is desperate. She goes to Jesus. Just like our boy J. Iris. It says in verse 30, read this part again, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? I mean, and, 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 and we'll go ahead and read this part too. And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The disciples, in the middle of this, verse 31, the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. I've asked myself all week as I've been kind of reading on this passage and thinking about it, like, I'm, I'm always curious, like, what part is, like, Jesus the human man, and what part is, like, Jesus God, like, playing in this, that, like, you know, he's Jesus, so if he wanted to know that she was going to be there, he could have known. But it seems like we have the humanity of Jesus, we're getting to see part of that, where he's like, okay, who did it? Who did it? But the disciples are like, Jesus, dude, do you see how many people are like pushing us through the streets here? And oh, by the way, this guy's daughter's about to die. And you want to talk to somebody who touched your clothes? Imagine being Jay Iris right now. I mean, he's got to be like standing over here, like, you know, tapping his foot, like, come on, Jesus, come on, dude. Like, this is my daughter. Like, if Jesus is a doctor, this is malpractice. You know, I mean, the disciples and Jairus and even probably people in the crowd are probably like, dude, girl's about to die. You want to talk to some woman who's got a bleeding problem? Like, and, and she touched your clothes? Like, dude, come on. Like, don't, like what, what's going on right now? 
There's a purpose for all of it. God's calling. You can answer it. <laughs> There's a purpose for all of it. There's a purpose for every bit of it. Why would this happen in the middle of Jesus? Why would this happen in the middle of Jesus trying to get to a little girl who's about to die? Why? Why, why, why? Well, maybe some of those questions will be answered in a minute. I want to read verse 32 down again. It says, And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear. There we go again. Fear. She's afraid. And trembling. And fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She has some amount of faith. We know it because Jesus says it. We don't know how much faith she has in Jesus at this point. We don't even know that she knows anything about Jesus other than the fact that she has heard that he can heal people. Whatever little amount or big amount of faith that she had in him in that moment saved her life, literally. I think, I think a question for us is, what does our faith look like? What's our, what's our faith look like? How, how much faith do we have that God really is who He says He is, that Jesus is who He, who he says He is, that He can do any, anything that He wants to do? How, how much faith do we really have in that? I mean, we, we, I mean, we love, like, we're great, you know, Christian Sunday morning going to church type people, you know, yeah, we got... Yeah, oh yeah, I got some faith. I got faith. I listened to George Michael. I got so much faith, you know? We got faith all over the place. But then at the end of the day, like, I mean, really, like, where is our faith? Like, when stuff hits the fan, what's that really look like for us? Is our faith real? Or are we running scared with fear? Are we driven by the fear? Either, either way, both of these people, J. Iris and this lady, both had at least a little bit of faith and they had a need and they were desperate. Sometimes God brings us back to Himself through moments of desperation like that. Sometimes He takes just a little ounce of faith to be enough to use His power to not just save us from sickness, but to save our souls. She was desperate. She didn't want to come out in the public, but she did, didn't she? What was she doing? She was trying to, remember, she's trying to like tag and go, right? And Jesus, Jesus is not having that. Jesus is like, hey, what's up? Who's back there? The disciples are like, dude, you're a fool. We've got to get to this dying girl. You know? And he's, and, and he's like, no, no. We need, to, we need to talk about this for a minute. Why? Why does Jesus need to stop and have this conversation? I think partly because he wants to say to her what he says in verse 34. What's he say? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. Did her faith really heal her? The power of God healed her, but her faith opened the door. See, this is, a, this is an amazing thing that we get to see spelled out for us in Scripture is this process of God literally saving somebody. And He uses whatever little ounce of faith. She didn't, she didn't know all the things that we know about Jesus. There's no way she knew all the things that we know about Jesus. We're in chapter 5 of the book of Mark. They didn't, have, they didn't have this. They didn't have all these things that we know about who Christ is. But she had enough faith. And a question for us today is, do we have enough faith? Have you put any faith, are you willing to put any faith on the table that you might believe that God might save you? Because even the size of a mustard seed of faith is enough for God to enter into your life and His power to change you forever to heal you 
of illness to heal you from being unclean. Verse 35. Verse 35, it says, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, the ruler being J. Iris, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So now we've got a situation. Now we've got a situation. Because Jesus has stalled basically to tell this woman that her faith is enough for the power of God to come in and change her life. And so now we've got a situation because now we've gone from we've got a sick little girl and we've healed this lady to now we're going to stop and have a conversation about it so that all the people around can hear what's going on here and hear what he says about her faith. And then in the process, now this little girl has died. And they have come and they're telling Jairus, I don't think there's any reason for you to have the teacher, Jesus, the teacher. I don't think there's any reason for you to have Jesus come to the house because this is over. Verse 36, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said, to the ruler of the synagogue. And now these words right here are words that I, I don't know if you want to write them down. I don't know if you want to put them on the roof of your car in some classy manner. I, I don't know if you want to get, get them tattooed on your body. Uh, we actually had a guy at church tattoo this uh, the last time I talked about it. No kidding. These to me are important words in Scripture that we should remember, and they are good for us to hear today. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, remember, we're talking about Jairus, who's just been told his daughter is dead, and Jesus looks at him and he says to him, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Can you imagine staring down the father of a young girl who has, he's just been told she's died. I mean, this is, we know from other passages, the other accounts in the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think Luke specifically talks about this. We know that, we know that from this, those passages, this is his only daughter. This is it. I mean, this is his world. And Jesus looks at him in that moment and he says to him, Do not fear. Only believe. Do not fear. Only believe. And in verse 37, it goes on and it says, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And <clears throat> Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. People weeping and wailing loudly. So this is an interesting piece of history that I want to kind of <clears throat> help us to see because there's a, another piece of this that we'll see in just a minute that I was struggling with myself as to like what was going on um, in just a minute. So at this point in time, in that culture, they would have what were called professional mourners. Professional mourners. You're like, what? Exactly what it sounds like. People who were supposed to get to the scene of someone who died as fast as they possibly could for the moment in which, you know, this has happened. And part of this was, I think, to like get, you know, a stir going so that people would know because the decomposition was a lot faster back then and have the medicines and things that we've got, you know. And so, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're trying to like make everybody aware somebody's died here. So they're professional mourners. And, and literally, and we have this actually in the account, a little more information, again, again because Mark is you know, sparse on the details sometime, sometimes. In the book of Matthew, in the same account, we actually have them talking about the mourners, the same as what we see here, wailing and all this kind of stuff, but also the flautists. Yes, the flautists, right? Okay? That's people who play the flute, for those of you that don't know what a flautist is, okay? And, and so... They have flautists, people that are playing flutes, okay? 
I don't know if they're these flutes or those flutes or whatever, but there's some kind of flutes. So there's people playing flutes, and then there are people that are doing nothing, apparently ladies, that would show up in the scene as soon as they possibly could, and just they're just making a scene. They're weeping and wailing. That's, that's the scene that Jesus has come up on right here. Now, the reason I think that's important, at least for me, is because I was study, as I was studying this, and you'll see this here in just a second, is there's a response to what Jesus says here, which I kind of struggled with, like, how are they doing that in this moment? But they're professionals. They're not like close, you know, probably, they may not be like close members of the family or whatever. They're there because they're supposed to be. And I don't know how that works. If it was like tagged on to the funeral director's bill, or maybe they're like the volunteer fire department, and they're just waiting to like run with their flutes or something. I have no idea. But that's, that's, that's the history of it. That's what's going on. Jesus walks into this. He just says, and Jesus saw a commotion, verse 38, and, and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. That's the, that's the piece that I struggled with. I was like, how's anybody laughing in this moment, like hanging out in front of this house where this girl has just died? How's anybody? I don't care what you came and said. I'm like, how's anybody laughing? And then it made more sense. I'm like, oh, they're just, they're professional mourners. They're not like there because like they really care. They're just going and doing their duty as being professional mourners. So they laughed at what Jesus said. But he put them all aside. Jesus doesn't care. He's like, whatever, get out of here. He put them all aside, outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So Jesus and the parents and the three disciples who were with him, they go and they go inside to where the child was. And it says, verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And, verse 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Crazy. Impossible, right? Impossible. Not for Jesus. Not the guy who created all creation. He, he believed, he, he believed, he knew in his heart she wasn't dead. You say, Chris, well, how, I mean, what does that mean? Well, I mean, she was dead. They said she was dead. Yeah, but Jesus looks at it differently than we do. You got to think about, like, Jesus isn't thinking about, like, how important it is to, like, hang out on earth a little longer. You know, he's thinking about our souls. Commentator Kent Hughes says this as a quote from him. It says, Real death is the separation of the soul from God, not the body from the soul. I'll read that again. Real death is the separation of the soul from God, not the body from the soul. Jesus, Jesus, wasn't, Jesus wasn't concerned with the fact she wasn't present on earth. He looked at that and was like, she's not, she's not, she's not separated from me. I'll breathe life back into this little girl. Little girl, get up. Come on, let's go. Interestingly enough, Mark leaves, Mark leaves this context of the wording that was used in the Greek for there to be a specific, like, we've got these words. Why? Why did he do that? Why, why is, I mean, we got all this other stuff of Jesus saying things to people, and then why all of a sudden is he leaving that in there? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I think, because again, Mark's not big on detail. So I think we got to pay attention when he's doing something like that. And I think partly what he's doing here is he's trying to bring a focus to what is being said and how it's being said. I think also, to go along with that, we'll talk about what's being said here in a second, I think also he probably heard Peter tell this story a thousand times, and I'm betting you anything that Peter said that as a part of the story every single time. And I'm betting that, he, that Peter was doing that also for the same reason, which was to show this importance 
to what Jesus was saying. We see it, and we see it says, little girl, I say to you, arise. If you break this down and you really look at this in the Greek, I think what you would find is that Jesus was trying to use a pet name with her and to tell her to get up and really, in a sense, was saying to her probably the same types of things that she had heard from her parents for a thousand times. Hey, honey, it's time to get up. Hey, sweetheart, wake up, baby. Why is this important? I think it's important because I think that we're seeing the love of Christ in a moment caring for a little girl who has died and he is healing her not from her sickness but from her death. And we're getting to be reminded that that's us. That's us. That when we're spiritually dead, Jesus is... Jesus is standing there and He's holding our hand and He's saying, I'll bring you out of the darkness. You come with me. Come with me. It's time to get up, sweetheart. Come on with me, honey. Wake up, little girl. It's time to go. What an amazing, amazing thing that we see here. So amazing. I mean, I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of just thinking of there's so many nuances to this whole thing. She was sick. We are sick. She was unclean because she was dead at this point. And we talked about last week, the dead were unclean. You touch them, that's another week or two or whatever before you can be clean again, be around people, all this stuff again, you know. She needed Jesus. On top of all this, on top of all that, we also have to boot. Just think about being Jairus. Think about being the dad. Much less the mom. We don't get a whole lot about the mom here, but we, we do about the dads. Think about what they're going through and think about what they've, what they've experienced in just this last few moments. Like e- even, even if this all happened within, let's say, 15 minutes or something, which is possible, that it did. We don't know that. The conversation was pretty quick quick with the lady. They're trying to get through town. We don't think that the town was very big. They're not having to go that far. And let's just say this happened, but I mean, let's just say 15 minutes of terror where Jesus is looking at you and he's just going, hey, it's cool. We got this. Do not fear. Only believe. And we're going to rock on. You know, and, I, mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. And why? Why didn't Jesus run to her while she was sick and heal her? I mean, that's what we want Jesus to do, right? We want Jesus to do everything on our time. J. Iris wanted Jesus to do things on his time. Like, hey, hey, Jesus, I know you're busy, but hey, can you make a few minutes? Let's go on like right now and get to my daughter before she dies. Isn't that the interesting thing about life is God doesn't do things on our timing? He does them on his. And in this situation... Jesus prolonging going to see this little girl allows her to die. To which we're like, oh, that's awful, Jesus. Why would you? No, 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 no. Jesus stops. He makes a clear statement to a crowd and this woman who he heals basically from her touching his garment and tells her, your faith has brought about my power to heal you. Furthermore, he's making a statement to all of these people that suddenly want Jesus to be their voodoo doctor, okay? To to all of these people who want Jesus to be the greatest physician that they've ever met. And this is true even for us today when we're saying, you know, well, why this little girl? Why does she get to be saved? And why not this one over here or that one over there or whatever? And it's because Jesus didn't come with His mission to be a doctor. He came to be the giver of life. And that's exactly what he did. And if he had gotten to her before she had died, guess what he wouldn't have given her? He wouldn't have given her life back on earth, but to that crowd and to those people and to us getting to see it in Scripture, it is is awesome for us to get to see and experience that he wasn't here just to heal people of ailments. That's not why he came. He came 
to give life and life abundantly. How ironic is the foreshadowing of this little girl's bed being a place that these people would come to see where a dead girl lay and now there is nobody. She has risen from the dead. She is alive. What kind of foreshadowing is that for us today? That the people will come and see an empty tomb like they will see her empty bed. Mark's not stupid. He knows what he's writing. And maybe today, maybe for us, maybe, maybe Jesus is saying to you, wake up, little girl. Wake up, little boy. Come on, honey. It's time to go. Come on, man. I've been waiting for you. Come with me. Let me take your hand. Let me lead you out of the darkness. Let me be your giver of life. Prominent family, poverty. See the differences between these two ladies? We got one that was part of a prominent family. We've got one that's literally as poor as could be. She's given away everything trying to get herself healed. We've got prominent family and one barred from society. The lady was unclean. She could not even go to the temple and worship God. Think about that. You had the guy who's over the temple's daughter, and then you got a lady who's not even allowed to go to the temple. Complete opposites. Interestingly enough are some of the similarities. She bled for 12 years. The little girl is 12 years old. It's all right there in Mark. You think Mark put it in there by accident? No, I don't think so at all. He's not a detailed guy. He's like quick and to the point. Both of these people, both of these ladies are considered unclean, both coming from completely different backgrounds and both coming with completely different things going on in their life. One still alive, one dead. And at the end of the day, Jesus was enough for both of them. Jesus was enough for both of them. Both of them with people that care for them well, one with somebody that cares for them, the other one also desperate, but both in both situations, situations where they have a need and they are both desperate. And I think just a big part of this is just the whole scene, the power of God break into the daily routine of life. The new kingdom has come. Jesus has brought with him the power of God to change all things. The Savior is here. And just in case you didn't know, Jesus is in the business of making people whole. Not only is he in the business of making people whole, but if you're sitting here today or you're listening to this right now and, you're, and you could honestly say, say Chris, I, I struggle with having any kind of faith in God. I'm here to tell you this, Jesus can give you that faith. Scripture teaches us that we can ask for it and He will give it. And it only takes a mustard seed size of faith to be enough for Him to come into your life and to save you today and change your life forever. He gives faith. He makes us whole. He saves us with His power. Healing all that is unclean in our lives. Man, that's some good news. Because I don't know about your life, but I got some of that. The Gospel Transformation Study Bible, which we keep in our resources in case you ever want one. If you're looking for a study Bible, I recommend it. I recommend the ESV Study Bible. We have both of those out there just to try to help people lay hands on them. And if you follow along in the notes sometimes, you'll find that your, your pastor steals from them sometimes. I usually try to cite it. But the Gospel Transformation Study Bible says in the notes over this passage that Jesus gives a clear antidote to fear. Remember that, 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 that word we were talking about earlier, fear? That thing that we struggle with, that thing that we wonder about, like, you know, 
you know, that thing that drives us sometimes to do things, to make decisions, not maybe even in the direction that we want to go. We do it because we are afraid not to. It says there is an antidote to fear. Jesus gives it to us, and it's in that statement. Those five words. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus was enough for both of them. And Jesus is enough for all of us. We are called to the same thing. Do not fear, only believe. The blood of Jesus on the cross, the empty tomb that was left there to to show that He has overcome death on our behalf, we can believe in that. We can trust in that. Our lives can be changed by it. God wants to work in our lives. He's got a purpose for our lives. We're not willy-nilly floating through life. There's purpose to this. And He wants to work through us that others might see Jesus because they know us. The Savior has come. The new kingdom is here. And He's come to say, you don't have to be afraid. All you have to do is believe. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word. God, thank you for the sacrifice that you have made for us in sending your only son for us, only child for us. That even in that moment that you took the cross, that you would go there knowing that the Father, that your Father, that our Heavenly Father, would let go of your hand for a short amount of time for you to give your life for us. God, I pray that that would communicate to us today the love that you have for us, the care that you have for us, and the desire you have to have a relationship with us, to change our lives, to make us new creations. God, we pray that you would do a work in us that would glorify you, that would make you known. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for the chance that we have for your grace and your mercy. God, work in us and use us for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.